You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 110. Now, folks, the following was, uh, I had my conversation with Aaron about four or five days ago, and we were worried that uh, by this time, everything that we said would be outdated. And fortunately, everything is good. Um, I am still here in my apartment, still healthy. Um, Obviously, there have been more closings and more progression of the pandemic, but so far, um, nothing unusual has happened for the last five days, I think. So I think this is still relevant. So we're good to go. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Local Maximum, episode 110. That means that we are in another uh, decade in terms of local maximum speak, another 10 episodes. I wonder what the 110s are going to be about, Aaron. What do you think? (laughs) I don't think anything interesting has been going on globally. This, uh, uh, well, I hope that uh, we are not talking about the pandemic by the time it comes to episode uh, 120, but uh, we'll see. That's my hope at this point. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm taking this with stride, but uh, I have to report that I am currently um, somewhat self-quarantined uh, in my apartment for the next eight days. So I'm looking around at the room I'm in. I better be pretty happy with this room. You know, maybe I better clean it up or something like that. Uh, I guess the good news is nothing will be stopping me from producing podcasts. Um, and, and the reason is, but I'm not doing this just for fun. I, I apparently was... Um, in contact with someone who uh, has the coronavirus. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, we're going to actually pour through some of the data later in the show today to see, you know, what the chances that I'll, I'll get it are. And so some of, some of that data actually looks pretty good for, for me, although unless, of course, everything else going on outside here gets much worse over the next 10 days. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, uh, but we'll go through that. So today we're going to uh, look. We're going to do exactly what I said I wasn't going to do in the last episode, which which was um, try to report information on the coronavirus outbreak. uh, And by the way, this is not coming out for four days. So who knows? I might have to uh, put an addendum at the beginning of this episode to tell you what's changed in the last four days. If there's no addendum, then it means probably there are more cases and more shutdowns and stuff, but like nothing Nothing major off trajectory. I, I think so, it would be uh, grossly optimistic of us to assume that between now when we're recording and when this episode releases, that there will be a major breakthrough and things will be on the uh, on the upswing in terms of improvement. I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Well, thank you for that, Aaron. <laughs> nice You're upbeat as normal. <laughs> uh, no, yes, but I think I think we'll. I just can't, I think we'll get through this. I mean, I know people are acting like it's the uh, it's like the plague from either the mid, mid, medieval times or from the book of Exodus or something like that. Uh, I think we're going to get through it. I think uh, things, everything just shut down really fast. So there's the question of whether it wasn't fast enough or whether it was too fast. But anyway, one of the things that I think is driving us crazy is there's so much information and misinformation flying around, particularly on Twitter all over the internet, a lot of the articles coming out from the news. Um, just a comparison that I have in my mind. I mean, I remember, you know, on 9-11 when people warned, actually teachers in the school that I was in warned me that, uh, you know, hey, you know, what, you know, be careful with the news today. You know, journalists might, um, you know, might exaggerate things. They might not give you the right information right away. And then it turned out on 9-11 they actually did surprisingly well, um, at least when you compare <laughs> compare it to today. Well, well, uh, in, do you feel in the terms same of way? What criteria? In terms of reporting on what was going on as the information came in and as it unfolded, um, and sort of sort of stepping back from their politicization of everything, and sort of stepping back from. Uh, I mean, it was hard not to be. Um, you know, there was a little worst case scenarioing on 9/11, which it's hard to think. Hey, it's 9/11. How could you, 
how could there be someone who says there's going to be an even worse case scenario? But there were definitely people saying like, oh, you know, 10 planes have been hijacked and they're hitting all these cities. And I don't know if you remember that. And, you know, um, I, I don't remember that be attacked specifically, every week. but but there was. Yeah. There, there was there was not a compelling case to be made that that, you know, well, first of all, when when the first uh, tower was hit, uh, I don't think anyone was predicting that another plane was going to intentionally crash into something. So they they missed the boat on that because it, it did get worse. Um, but I don't think right. there was any compelling argument once the second tower had been hit to say that, you know, there, there aren't more cases, uh, that there's not going to be more organized attacks of some sort in the next minutes, hours, days, or weeks. Uh, and, and uh, you know, in in hindsight, uh, we, we know now that there really wasn't anything in the works, but uh, it, it would have been foolish to to have said, "Oh, it's it's done. This is as bad as it can get." Now we can we can focus on the recovery. Yeah, but it's another difference is, you know, it's it, I feel like every month for the last ten years has been <laughs> X is going to kill us all, and it's they've just been going over it again and again. Actually, this led to the. Uh, have you seen the the Babylon Bee, the explicitly fake news site? Uh, I should get in. I, I now I have to go to them because I forget what the um, I forget I, what I'm the exact headline the bee, was. But I, I I haven't seen any of their uh, coronavirus coverage. Oh, well. The the headline was something like you know media that's been telling you everything is going to destroy you for the last ten years is very upset that people aren't listening to them on coronavirus. Uh, but it it does hit home because I mean it, it's um, it's hard. <laughs> I feel like it's harder to take the news as seriously as you did, especially uh, when it contradicts itself so much. I mean that could partially be a function of having so many different sources of information now. Yeah, I I, I think I think the baseline approach is is much more well. There's, it's it still existed back in the in was it two thousand one, uh, but sure. the the uh, prevalence of news commentary over news reporting has become much more dramatic, uh, and right and the ability to couch everything in terms of of team sports such that you know this is you know either Trump is making it worse by doing X or. You know the the Democrats in the House are are not doing enough on why uh, it, it's it's not particularly productive, uh, but everyone wants to score points somehow. So, no, I, I I read those things. I hate to say it, but I read those things, and I feel like those articles had already been written. It's like all all these articles had been in their uh, metaphysical drawers, uh, just been <laughs> ready to fill in the names and the dates and whatever as appropriate and put out there now as I read the news. And it's a terrible way to read the news, but that's sort of, that's sort of how I feel. So I guess we, um, yeah, you well, and I have thank, been just like everybody else. Uh, and, yeah. and it, at least as, as far as I can tell, this continues to be the case. Uh, there are some resources which are remaining apolitical and, uh, and can be considered highly trustworthy, uh, starting first with the CDC, uh, then the WHO, uh, and and I think uh, Johns Hopkins is is being considered kind of one of the go-to resources of the the Johns Hopkins uh, uh, Medical School or the School of Public Health for their data collection and, and reporting on this. That uh, if if you want you know just the facts, please, those are excellent places to go. Uh, but once you yeah, but step beyond those hard resources and start looking at uh, network news, you might get some of that, but you're going to get it with a spoonful of whatever the uh, commentary du jour is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen Twitter conversations where someone on Twitter, and you're not on Twitter, so maybe it's this is just, <laughs> maybe you're just lucky, but there'll uh, be people who Do you think Twitter post- use is correlated to uh, susceptibility? I don't know. So I, I I saw this, and I think I saw it more than one time. But I saw someone saying, "Well, you're an idiot for saying that. It's actually the opposite of that. And the reason why you're an idiot is because you don't understand math. And here's a link with the math. And you go to the link, and it's like so complex and 
there's all these charts and graphs and numbers. And even I'm like, dude, you didn't even read that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so I, so it's, um, it's, it's, I'm all yeah, for I math mean, and logic when, when it proves the point, but I'm against it when you use it to bludgeon someone else with because you're like, math and logic and science say this, but then you're just using it as a bludgeon, but you're not actually explaining the math and logic and science. And, and, and I, I'm sure I've been guilty of that myself in the past, that uh, the reason you share a link is not because it's something interesting that you read. It's because you read the headline and you think that it will prove your point and make you look superior to the person you're sharing it with. Or sharing it about, mm. uh, yes, which is an unfortunate uh, symptom of our times. But but yeah, it's 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 certainly got out of hand, and and you see it on on both ends of the spectrum. People who are saying you know we're we're all going to die. This is the end times, and people saying that you know there's nothing to worry about. This is this is literally well you know this is this is literally a government conspiracy to to scare us into our homes or and, and <laughs> look and y- y'all are both wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah. Before but, before we go, but there's on, I an just inability to, to handle nuance and and accept that maybe something isn't completely one side or the other. That that there there's a middle ground for where reality resides. Yeah, yeah. All right. So where where do you want to start today? Do you want to? We have a few other links here. Do you want to start by talking with the Johns Hopkins study, which obviously I was looking at very closely because of, for very self interested reasons. Or yeah, I think let's uh, let's dive so, into that because uh, there's there's some I I don't I don't know if we can can strictly call it a Bayesian analysis to to go along with that, but but certainly it's some, probabilistic, yeah. and and it has uh, okay real real world real world implications uh, that are striking close to home, uh, which is you know very much what we set out to to do from the very beginning uh, on the show. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, right. So this is important to me because I apparently had come in contact with someone who has the virus um, on Thursday. So that would be one week before uh, seven days early, seven days before today, uh, before we record this. Um, recording <laughs> now time on the 12th. Rec- yes. Unless I include an addendum at the beginning, I have not shown <laughs> symptoms yet. Uh, but as of today, I have not shown symptoms. Um, and so the question is, how likely is it that I, I will show symptoms? And, I, you know, obviously I want to know that. And, you know, of course, I've been out in the city since then, too. So now I'm worried, like, I could also get it from someone just in the subway. Uh, apparently, it looks like it's very unlikely I, you could catch it from just walking down the street yeah, or you, even from a restaurant. You, you have like a that. known exposure window, but that is not necessarily your only uh, exposure opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, Johns Hopkins uh, did this study. They looked at some publicly available data, um, and so we could talk about what what those biases might be, but they looked at some publicly available data for people who uh, who have the virus where we know when they contacted it, they know when they were exposed to it, and then we also know when they started to show symptoms. And they built a little probability distribution around that. And so what the probability distribution looks like is uh, the support of the probability distribution. When we say the support, that is like what are the ranges of values that we're talking about. So for example, the support of a of a coin flip is heads and tails. That's like the, the set of all events. In this case, the set of all events is all positive numbers, which is the, the, the number of days or the amount of time since exposure. Um, And what they found was, so they built a little probability distribution around that, and they gave out two numbers. They can't just publish the probability distribution. People don't understand that. That's something I have to live with at work and things like that. People don't like, you have to have the whole probability distribution, but people don't like to, uh, people don't like to get it. So you have to break it down into a couple numbers. So they said there's a 5.1 median days to show symptoms. And they said that there is, um, after 11.5 days, 97% of people show symptoms. So that's what it is. Um, And so they fit a curve to all the points they have uh, because they, you know, uh, they only had 200 uh, data points. They needed, they, uh, essentially there's a discussion on which probability distribution they picked. It's a very technical discussion, but 
I'm kind of real nerdy on those things, so I have to look into it. One is the log normal distribution. So most people, I think, are familiar with the normal distribution. That's the standard um, bell curve. It's got a mean. It's got a standard deviation. You know, it's kind of symmetrical, right? So that means that, hey, uh, if it were a normal distribution, that would mean that, uh, you know, if it's... Um, if you have a certain probability of 10 days, then your probability of 9 days and 11 days are going to be the same because it's symmetrical. Now, this is definitely not a normal distribution. And the reason is that the support of a normal distribution is all real numbers go negative, it could go positive. And so when you're dealing with a positive number, it's usually one of those positive number distributions. There are a few of them. They chose to use the log normal, but they also, which I like to see, they also tried to fit it to many other uh uh, positive distributions. One is the gamma distribution that you use a lot in Bayesian inference that I like. And they checked to make sure that all of them give similar answers, which I really liked. Um, okay, so that uh, <laughs> that opens up some questions to me. Like, uh, where, it, as far as I can tell, and I don't know if you saw this, Aaron, there were no correlations between, uh, we know that there are correlations between how uh, deadly this virus is um, and how um, you know how prevalent it is in different ages um, and people with different pre-existing conditions and to some extent gender I think a little bit too I'm not I, I think I saw that I don't know which gender gets it worse but I'm not I, I think I saw that there's a small effect there so I don't know yeah, the, if the days to show symptoms is also affected by these things but yeah, maybe on, we can on, assume on the that gender they are. topic uh, and and my data on this is a couple days old, but uh, I had heard that it is infecting at roughly a 50%, uh, you know, equal split between genders. However, the among those infected, there's a higher fatality rate for males. Um, okay. Which I, I heard from another uh, source. Uh, but it's uh, it's not as stark as the age difference, no, of course. No, no. Uh, but but I, I, interestingly enough, uh, I, I think uh, another doctor I heard interviewed was saying that that that's not terribly surprising uh, because the the uh, standard influenza also has a slightly higher fatality rate for males. That it probably has something to do with with hormone levels and how that interacts with the virus. But uh, hmm. yeah, it looks like okay. Uh, so the the split on on the data here was was not fifty fifty. It was uh, about sixty forty uh, male to female. Uh, and there was a median age of forty four point five years for the in for the COVID set for for this particular in, paper we were looking at. Okay, okay, so that's interesting. So that's the oh, and that goes right back to my last episode um, with Adam Compelner. I don't know if you listened to that one. Yet, yes, but uh, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> every time I have someone on, they're directly useful to what's going on in the next episode. <laughs> but I am totally not planning it. It just happens to work. Because we have very good maybe, maybe we need to be more accent. careful about who you interview, uh, since since uh, there's clearly correlation. Uh, there might be some causation there. Oh, you mean like it affects the world yeah. uh, events? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's true. Uh, okay, so um, and it's funny because I had him on my interview list for two years. So and the fact that this is coming up now is like the the uh, the, the the splits. Uh, between people and experiments. Of course, this is observational data, but but still. Um, okay, but the question I was asking was a little different, was, okay, is this distribution going to be very different for men or women or for people of different ages? And that, I don't think the paper says anything yeah, about. And, and I would so, be somewhat suspect of, of anything they did say on that, given the small sample size of, uh, what is it, 181 cases, that if you start breaking your your data set down into smaller and smaller groups like that, it's it's a lot harder to extract uh, meaningful trends there. I, I assume it wasn't stark. Um, okay, so if it's five point one median days to show symptoms, and it's already seven, um, that means that I'm probably I don't know around seventy. I can calculate that with a log normal distribution, but I haven't done it yet. I can do it in Python. But I probably, uh, I, let me guess in my head, maybe around 70% of the, uh, of the, of the time is up. I'm over the hump for yeah, 70%. I'm, I'm looking at figure one here, or excuse me, figure two, uh, and, and just eyeballing it. That sounds about right. Okay. Okay. Good. And each day it gets a little better. Um, 
Now, the second thing is, I know other people who were exposed in a similar way that I was around the same time, uh, and in other words, they're all in the same room, and those people have not shown symptoms either. And so the question is, if it were something where it's like, um, what, what do I want to say? If it's, if it's kind of randomly chosen from the distribution, if there's no correlations there, and everybody in the room didn't get it after, uh, after seven days, that could probably mean that no one in the room is going to get it. Like, it's very unlikely that there was any transfer there. Um, or we were in like a different part of the room or something because everyone in, in my part of the room was 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 safe. So um, I don't know. That's hopeful unless there's some weird correlation there that I'm not thinking yeah. of. Uh, I think the the data on that looks good for me personally. Now enough about me personally. Like let's talk about everybody else because <laughs> I, I I think um, well everything's being shut down. Uh, there's all, if I, and I, you and I were looking at the numbers state by state, country to country. And as people have pointed out, if that was just some random affliction and you didn't know what it was, those numbers wouldn't be, um, too alarming. Um, of course the, the trouble is like, you know, the exponential growth and it's very unclear. A lot of people are extrapolating the exponential growth, um, out as far as they'd like. We, we know that these types of exponential curves uh, don't go on forever. Uh, and so we don't know exactly where it ends up. Uh, but um, beware of someone who's going to... Uh, beware of someone who doesn't extrapolate the exponential growth at all, and beware of someone who extrapolates it as far as they want to make their point as well, I would say. Yeah, there's 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 always the danger of, of allowing your biases to creep in, even... Even unintentionally. Right. Okay, so a question that I was asking is, what's the maximum number of people in a country that could be infected? Because in Germany, they said, well, 70% are of the country are eventually going to be infected. And for what it's worth, again, I, I don't know how to generalize this, but I think it might be important, is we were looking at Diamond Princess. And you pointed out something interesting, because that was on a list of countries, right? Yeah, they, they were the... Uh... 10th largest or the in the list of countries with the most infections they were ranked number 10 uh i think it was so it's a cruise Switzerland. ship but it was considered a country for these purposes uh okay and so the ship it looked like under 20 percent of the ship actually got it even though they were clearly all exposed and now are we I presuming think. that everyone on that ship was was tested or did they only test those showing symptoms is it possible that right. there, there could be carriers who who were exposed and, and caught the virus, but were completely asymptomatic? Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know what the testing protocol was for the Diamond Princess. I, I know in the U.S. Uh, there appears to be uh, limits on the available tests. And so uh, they're, they're reserving test kits for those cases that are not just showing symptoms, but have uh, known opportunities for exposure, or, or at least right. they were I mean, until very recently. That that's are, something are people that being very hopefully will have changed by the time this episode airs. Right. And I, I, look, with I'm sure that maybe not everyone on the ship will be tested, but I'm sure a lot of people will be when they come onto shore. And so, if it's literally the fact that like a hundred percent of people on that boat have uh, test positive, I think we'd hear about it. Right. Um, so r right now, let's say it's 20%. I mean, maybe 80% of people just don't get it, um, which is possible. Um, and and raises, raises yeah. some very interesting be, questions for uh, where their resistance uh, or immunity might be coming from in terms of coming up with a vaccine. Right. I mean, look, I think with all of these things, you know, whenever there's a bug going around, there's always a few people that just don't get it. Um, even if everybody around them is, well, you, I mean, <laughs> there's sometimes like everyone in the family gets a, gets a bug. And then sometimes like one person is spared, surprisingly. I don't know if you've experienced that, but. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, and, and yeah. I, I couldn't tell you in that case, whether it's, it's a matter of, of having, having immunity or being a carrier or, or some combination of other factors there. Um, but, but from a, uh, an outside perspective without additional data, that's all going to look the same. 
Right, right. Um, okay, so this is kind of related to uh, people. There's, there is a lot of controversy over the death rate of COVID-19. From what I read, uh, the flu has a death rate of 0.1%. Of course, that's also going to be very different depending on age and pre-existing condition, I would assume. Right, and, and uh, there are many strains of flu, so I assume that that's kind of a, a, an averaging of of overall yeah. influenza statistics. Spanish flu. Spanish flu was really bad. That was the 1918 epidemic. Did you know, unlike the um, coronavirus, which is also called the Wuhan virus, it's the, you know, it, it's it's named after the, the place it started. The Spanish flu, I, I was reading, I, I should probably confirm this, but I was reading it did not originate in Spain. No, I did. it originated, I want to say in, in, was it Oklahoma or maybe Nebraska? Oh really? It was it was I, I, here here in the U.S. I think so. So I, I think the reason that it was called the Spanish flu was because the Spanish government was collecting all the data um, because it was right. I don't was it during World War One or was it after or was it? It, it was it after? was during the tail end of World War One. Yeah. Right. So you couldn't have uh, data being like you know Spain was a neutral country, so they were able to gather the data from everyone. Uh, is what happened, I think. I, I have to look into that. But uh, so great, they have a virus named after them, even <laughs> though it didn't originate in their uh, in their country. Um, okay, so right, so the death rate for I should I, death rate sounds so harsh. I should say fatality rate, or should I just say death rate and get it over with? Um, we, we all know what we're th- talking about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the numbers that I've seen given are between three percent and point three percent. Well, I'm I'm getting a little bit um, ahead of myself because that's just off the top of my head. But you've probably seen numbers similar, where it's like the low single digits in terms of percentage, and then there's also it's also possible that it's a fraction of a percent, right? Yeah. Uh, it. I, I've I've heard everything ranging from. Uh, as like like you said, uh, single digits, uh, like three or four percent, uh, down down to point three percent, or I, I think right. it was point, so, point six. Um, yes. So you could contact the experts um, instead of us. But <laughs> if you contact the experts, the experts will give you lots of different answers, and they'll all be within that range. Yeah, because this is <laughs> it's say. it's a moving target. Uh, because we only have data on those who've been tested, and there's an obvious selection bias in those who've been tested. Um, yeah. That that those of you likely to have the virus are much more likely to go and get tested. Right, right. So here's here's what someone asked on Twitter. Uh, someone asked me, how can you estimate the true fatality rate if you're only testing people with severe symptoms? And actually, I thought about that problem for a little bit, and it's actually similar to some of the problems that... Uh, I've worked on on the past when it even comes to like marketing data and things like that. Um, oh, sorry, my uh, my uh, the robot in my phone turned on. <laughs> it think I said it thinks I said Cortana, but anyway, all right. So uh, it's not my phone in my headphones. Um, have these new micro Microsoft headphones? They're wireless. They're very nice. You, you, noise canceling, but I don't know. You need yeah. to get uh, Bill Gates exercised from your headphones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So where was I? Oh, right. I was saying that um, this problem is similar to some of the problems that I've dealt with in terms of user-generated data and marketing data in the past at, at Foursquare and problems that I've solved before. So I want to talk a little bit about that. How would I approach it? Because here's where a Bayesian model would really shine. So first, first thing you need in a Bayesian model is what's your hypothesis space, right? And so we're trying to figure out what the fatality rate is, right? And so the hypothesis space is a number between zero and one, right? Zero and 100%. Uh, So that's pretty simple. Um, If you want to make your model a little more complicated uh, in like the second or third round of this, you would actually have a global death rate, but then you'd have a positive multiplier for each. You'd have like a little multiplier for each age range and each gender, and perhaps adding some other health data. So like, oh, does the person smoke? Does the person have X, Y, Z? Then maybe that um, you have like a uh, a little bit that gets added to their probability. And by added, I mean you would probably use 
odds instead of probability maybe and multiply the odds. That's why it's a positive number by a positive number. But I'm not going to get into that. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's, it's, that's all complicated. So if you make a math you, work. You, you would take an actual actuarial approach that, that rarely are they going to base your insurance, you know, life insurance policy on, uh, you know, what year were you born? What is the life expectancy? Okay, there's your rate. They're going to want to know your gender, where you live, uh, what your education is, you know, whether you're a smoker, because all of those are going to modify that that probability and place you on a different place on that distribution. Right, right. So now the hypothesis space gets much more complicated. So let's say, I don't know, let's say we have four age ranges, okay? So now we need four fatality rates instead of one fatality rate. So instead of number between zero and one, it's four numbers between zero and one. And now all of a sudden it's a it's a four-dimensional space, right? So it 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 does get a lot more complicated. Uh, and the so one thing that I would do is I would have a global rate and then I would have a diff, a difference off that global rate. And the reason for that, maybe I would do two rates for, for the ages because it's so stark. But the reason for that is uh, for gender, I would definitely do it this way where I'd have one global rate and then I'd have um, a little wiggle room for if you're male, a little wiggle room if you're female to go up and down. The reason is because the global rate could be anything, but my prior for the wiggle room, the uh, the extra points, if you're uh, male or female, the prior would be very thin. I would expect that to be a very low number. And so that we can like estimate, um, that we don't really need to estimate uh, very much. Whereas uh, age is sense. going to have a, a larger spread there. Yeah, that's why I said age. I might just, I might just straight up partition the data, frankly, uh, because it looks like it's such a difference. But okay, so let's assume that we just have. Let's try to focus on the problem at hand, yep. which is trying to get the global rate. And so let's say, let's say that th- these confounders are not uh, an issue, or we dealt with them in some other way. So okay, we have we're looking for a number between zero and one. We come up with a prior on that number, a prior distribution. It probably won't matter that much because the data is going to give us the answer. But I think with the prior, we can kind of look at other similar known diseases and construct a distribution. You know what Ebola is eighty percent. Certain cancers are like eighty, ninety, ninety-five percent. So there's some in that range. Most diseases that are of this type are in the lower range. Um, as in um, low, you know, <laughs> low as in under 50%. But, you know, I would assume that uh, the the prior doesn't, you're not going to use a uniform prior. You're probably going to use something that's weighted to the, you know, zero to 10% or what you would expect. But you would use something that's kind of open to, to everything, right? Yeah. Okay. So the data is um, data on who got the virus and um, who recovered and who, um, who, and the fatalities and when, right? And so the thing that you have to understand, if this were just randomized from the global population, then you could plug that right into your Bayesian model. That's like a, a, a randomized controlled experiment uh, uh, effectively, and then you would have your answer. Um, but because it's not, you do have to assume that it came from a distribution within the global population. And so uh, the assumption is that, um, you know, the uh, uh, percentage of people who were infected got very um, bad symptoms, which is also correlated with, um, which is also going to be correlated uh, with their fatality rate. And is all their, their symptoms are correlated with both their fatality rate and it's correlated with uh, their propensity to get the test, right? Those two things are affected by the symptoms, and the symptoms are affected by whether you are infected or not. Because you could have those symptoms if you're not infected right. as well. Uh, so that has to be taken. So now we have several Bayesian models, and so now you actually have. Um, what's called uh, a Bayesian network. And that I talked a little bit about with uh, Sophie Carr in episode 105. Um, and so now you form a Bayesian measure. It's, it's also, um, it's also uh, related to causality theory because you know what the cause, causal links are in each piece of this. And so that's, uh, I talked about that in episode 31 as well. All these things are relevant. <laughs> so 
Um, and that's, of course, Judea Pearl seems to be the guy to go to to talk about causality models nowadays. Maybe I'll try to get him on the, on the program. Um, so now you have several different Bayesian models that you want to kind of put together uh, and, uh, and calculate. But um, I'm not going to, like, that, that can be done. Um, so the interesting thing is, okay, if nobody is being tested who has no symptoms, then what do you do? And I don't think that it's literally nobody is being tested who has no symptoms. I feel like there has to be some data on some people with no symptoms who have been tested. It might, if not, if there's not enough, it might be helpful to randomize, randomly test a few people to see what's going on, right? Uh, because if you test 10 random people and none of them have it, that significantly, in, in a certain geography, that significantly lowers your... Um, your estimate for how many people are infected, right? Well, so we're uh, if that makes we're sense. looking at 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 the fatality rate among those infected, not at the infection rate among those exposed here. So, uh, right, but you need to know we, both, right? We, we need we need to basically eliminate from from the possible uh, denominator of those exposed, uh, or excuse me, from from the denominator of those infected. We need to eliminate those who uh, are either not exposed or have been exposed but are not infected. We're, right, we're, ju- right. we're just those people in of those infected who dies. Yeah, and, and those people. So you could have um, of the people who were exposed and infected but showed no symptoms or no strong symptoms. You basically hey, you have to estimate um, what the percentage of those are, and so that is a Bayesian model in and of itself. Uh, you would have some prior over it, and you actually do get data on that coming in because you know I would say that some of the you know some of the effects of the diamond princess might be data. You, there are cases where people who don't have symptoms have been um, have been tested. That's been going on in South Korea, and so you can kind of use that data to estimate that better and better. And so maybe we don't have a great estimate of it right now, but I think that the data is out there to make that estimate. So that's just how I'd approach it. I would, uh, there's a few things that I would compare this to, to things that I had worked on in the past. One certainly is ad attribution, where, um, you know, companies would, um, would, um, uh, uh, you know, would expose someone to an ad, which is similar to exposing someone to a virus, I guess you could say. And then, and then the person would go to the place that the person that the that the uh, that the company wanted them to go to to buy stuff. I guess that's uh, equivalent to testing positive. Um, but, uh, you know, but did we, they then actually buy have, something or not? Yeah, we don't know if they bought something or not. We don't know if the model is perfect. Um, and also, another thing that I did was uh, we actually had such a huge data set uh, that we removed a lot of the non-visits from that data set because it was just so huge. And because we knew what was going on, we can kind of recombine that to get a, a, a sense of what was going on with the data we had. This is kind of a complicated issue. It's kind of tough to explain. But yes, there are ways to estimate this, which is, I think, the bottom line. Um, and uh, there are statistical ways to do it. And it usually, it kind of matches up with common sense, which is that all these things are estimable, if that makes sense. And that's why North uh, South Korea. North Korea is a whole other issue where they say <laughs> they have no cases and nobody believes them. Uh, South Korea is testing lots and lots of people, and their fatality rate is significantly lower, which kind of tells us that uh, they're closer to the true fatality rate. Right. And, and, I mean, there are many things that affect the fatality. Well, I guess uh, effects on fatality rate, uh, they might have an upper hand there in that uh, I I expect South Korea has a uh, fairly strong medical infrastructure. uh, And so they might be able to provide... Uh, more support to those who do have severe symptoms, um, but uh, the, what what I was about to, to comment on and, and would have been a, a, a leap in the wrong direction is uh, they may also have uh, a lower rate of transmission uh, in South Korea, but that's 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 a different issue than the fatality rate, um, and that may be because of uh, social distancing and some cultural stuff and the fact that they've had you know a heads up in that 
they they got to see some of it unfold in China before it hit them, and so they can avoid uh, getting caught off guard and making some of the mistakes that that were made before we knew what we were dealing with here. Yeah, there are a lot of people screaming right now that we are screwing it up in the U.S. I feel like there's nothing I can do about it if we are right now, but uh, we don't know. Uh, how things are going to turn out. I, really, we have to wait and see. Yeah, well, and, um, and, and there has and, to be a cost-benefit analysis as well, um, both both on the, the national, the state, local, and the individual level, in that absolutely there are things that can be done to minimize your risk. Uh, if, if you lock yourself in your bunker and you don't come out for a few months, uh, the chances of you catching this disease are dramatically decreased. Uh, yeah. But... Is, and I'm not, I'm not worried about people. Is, uh, is the risk you know, like high enough are... that, that it would justify making that life choice? And, and for some people, they've already made that life choice without the presence of the coronavirus. They'd much prefer to live uh, in 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 uh, solitary isolation. Uh, so for them, it's no big <laughs> is deal. That, yeah. It's an it's, 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 it's excuse like that? that nobody's going to come bother me now because everybody else should be doing the same thing. And, but... Uh, you know, if, How many people do you think are saying, "Oh, I have the coronavirus," just to get out of <laughs> events or get it, make sure someone doesn't come over? I, I'm sure there are some. Uh, I, I I think. Well, yeah, I, I I don't know how many people uh, would would have preferred to have this kind of excuse all along, but we're 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 too uh, too afraid to 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 just come out and say they don't want to do X, Y, or Z. Uh, so th- th- yeah. there are some, I'm sure, who are leveraging that. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, I, yes, I think it's it, the scary thing is being here in New York City when we are around people so much, uh, especially on the subway, on the elevators, um, on on the street. I am not too concerned walking down the street, but who knows? Maybe I should be. I think I probably shouldn't be, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, and and it is my hope that that one of the things that comes out of this is a generational uh, uh, reinvigoration of of good hygiene habits that uh, people who've who've lived through you know coronavirus twenty twenty uh, will hopefully for the rest of their lives be more conscious about hand washing, uh, you know and and uh, not not sneezing and coughing on people and uh, you know yeah people have gotten worse at that over the, the last ten years haven't they well, yeah 10, I mean people years. in general are disgusting uh, but there's some some yeah. fairly low impact things you can do that dramatically reduce your risk here and and yeah. just because uh, you know say in in 18 to, to 36 months we have a vaccine for coronavirus doesn't mean you should stop doing all those things because uh, the the benefits ripple out through pretty much everything in your life if if you can reduce your chance of catching seasonal flu by 50 percent it's probably worth washing your hands twice as many times a day. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Um, all right. So <laughs> I, I hate to sort of think like what uh, what we're missing in four days when this goes out. Um, I, I think it's safe to assume, well, there'll be some more closures. Yeah, well, and um, and, and that, for, for perspective, I, I think you your work uh, advised or, or required work from home uh, – Several days ago, was it? Has it been a week already? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and my work announced this afternoon uh, that that they're recommending uh, that the folks in my office work from home for the foreseeable future. Uh, I would not be yep. surprised if we see uh, much larger steps along those lines with uh, state and local governments uh, taking taking more more direction on that. Um, I mean, I guess in yeah, Massachusetts, I, the governor has already said, if you can work from home, do. But that's very much a this is a good idea, not a uh, not not like uh, in the that one snowstorm we had a few years back where they literally said, we're closing the roads to non-emergency personnel. If you are out on the road and you are not an emergency person, uh, we will be arresting you and sending you home. So they're not arresting people been, for going into their offices anytime soon, I don't think. This makes me think, like, what would have this what would this have been like if this had happened 20 years ago, uh, when you really couldn't work from home, I remember even when I worked at Wireless Generation, t- 2006 to 2009, I didn't have a laptop there. I had a, a desktop there. I wouldn't have been able to work from home. Yeah, and and the idea of being able to be on—I mean, not everybody had. Uh, well, I guess most most people our generation had cell phones at that point, uh, but we yeah, weren't but not- as as. Uh, 
tied at the hip no, to I've... them as we are now. Uh, sure. I, I don't think many people would think much of being on you know conference calls for several hours of the day on their on their cell phone now. Uh, and and I think no, maybe no. a lot of people will be doing that in the coming weeks. Uh, but in the days of landlines, that would have been ridiculous. That that if if you were doing that yeah. much talking on on a landline at home, you had two phone lines because because you didn't want to be tying up the only phone. Yeah, but there there isn't there wasn't that much work that you could do. You couldn't your data and like your documents weren't mobile. It's not you know you, there was no Google Docs. I mean, talk about twenty years ago, you know, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't. Uh, what would you do? I mean, unless you had, uh, um, most people didn't well, you, have their work would, at you home. You would have so, a courier who would come by in their in their yeah. bicycle or their or their small vehicle, and they would they would take your faxes and carry them over to another person's home office. I'm and- talking about like 2003 or something, <laughs> but yeah, um, no, no, it's crazy that to think like how different this would have been um, just a few years ago. Um, Okay. Yeah. yeah so I, I, what I was saying before, that, that's yeah. that's another interesting thing that, that could potentially come out of this is is we might be telling our children uh, decades from now that you know 2020 that was the year that the American economy went you know 80 percent work from home because we did it for six months and realized why would we go back to the offices after that? I I don't. You do you like working from home? Uh, it has its pluses and minuses, and and I I I'm I'm not making a prediction that that is what's going to happen, but I I could very well see that being a possible outcome here. That that if if we've taken all the steps to make it possible, uh, that not everybody's going to go back to the old ways, and and I think another place we're going to see that is is schools that uh, a huge number of universities are are trying to make the transition to go uh, go virtual for the remainder of this semester. Uh, and and some that's going to be a lot harder than others because they may not have the infrastructure already in place. But once they prove they can do that, how's that going to affect the uh, the the economic model for universities where they're charging you thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a semester to come there when they've already proven that you can get a roughly equivalent education from your own home? Yeah, I mean, I liked going, but it might not be worth the. The cost, yeah. or it might be, might have been worth. I had some classes that, um, at one class, electronic communities with um, Kristen Sosalski, who actually I've thought of uh, bringing, bringing her on to the local maximum, um, but that was a class that was fifty percent, fifty percent online, fifty percent virtual, and fifty percent in person. Maybe you could do more things like that, uh, where you sort of mix it a little bit, and that way you can sort of. Uh, do the things in person that are better to yeah, do in person. Yeah, and this is this is getting way off topic, and and we've we've run no, no, we've no, run long enough t- here. It's a good but, local, but I think there's an interesting question about topic. what is the value proposition. Uh, that that sure you you know you can take online courses and and gain the knowledge, uh, but what what justifies the difference between between that and and the high cost of getting the the uh, the sheepskin the the certificate, and and where do we draw that line that that you know, it's it's easy it's easy to say that well if you aren't on campus having the in person experience with the other students and the professors and the grad students that that you're missing out on something and so your experience isn't of the same caliber uh, but but I think we're about to get a uh, a live experiment in how much of that can can be uh, can be implemented without the benefit of face to face contact. Yeah. So yeah, it, and uh, interesting to, 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 be- to see how that develops. Yeah. To be clear, I'm not worried about staying at home. I'm the things I'm not worried about. There, you know, there are people panicking out there. I'm not worried about running out of toilet paper. I'm not <laughs> running worried about running out of food and supplies. I could always have things delivered. Yeah, uh, well, that I, stuff's not going to be shut down. And thankfully, um, and the economy is we're, pretty we're not resilient. At the point where we're looking at uh, infrastructure shutdown. Um, it's it's not like uh, a few years ago when there was uh, a a a gas line explosion in my in my area. And power was out for several days, and people couldn't go back to their homes. Uh, the expectation, at least for now, uh, is that you know water, sewer, electricity, heat, all that stuff is going to keep going for for folks. Uh, we're we're not looking at a, 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 a an infrastructure collapse yet. Now, if if infection rates get up to that that uh, predicted you know the number that some people have thrown up there of of you know over fifty percent. Uh, then you might have trouble staffing all that critical infrastructure, and we could see issues there. But I think we're we're a long ways from hitting that. I think that's very unlikely. I think that um, 
I think it's almost impossible. I think they would just look. This is not Ebola with an eighty percent death rate. This is not the bubonic plague. <laughs> this is not going to come in. And I, I feel like from the data I've seen, the majority of people recover relatively fast. Um, major- now, look, for some people, it's very, very serious. But I think critical infrastructure and also people who have restaurants are going to be um, are going to be very happy to send people out to deliver food, yeah. well, you know, because they're, the, they're losing business. And uh, worth keeping in mind, though, is that you don't need to hit that 80 percent, you know, fatality rate that that it is a surprising small percentage of of critical personnel being out of out of circulation that will that can cause some 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 tipping points or some domino effects there. Um, I, 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 I still don't think we're going to hit that, but uh, it. Uh, I, I, I I'm not worried about it, Aaron. I I'm, well, I really don't want you to give me the worst case scenario here. So someone someone was <laughs> commenting because uh, Iran uh, I think was was getting hit pretty hard uh, starting a couple of weeks ago, um, and and yeah. it looked like it was rampaging through that country. Uh, particularly, I, I I heard somewhere that that maybe it was as much as like 10 percent of their uh, parliament was infected. Um, yeah, how'd that happen? Was it going around parliament or? Uh, well, so here's another thing. If the if the if 108 people in Canada have it and one of them happens to be the prime minister's wife, wow, what a coincidence! You know, like it, there's got to be a lot more people than that. Possibly. Let me take a step. Unless back it's there, going around government because there's so many crowds what, there. What I was what I was getting to uh, with with Iran and and their parliament is uh, there's yeah. there's a theory not necessarily coming from from disease epidemiology, uh, but but maybe perhaps more from. Uh, uh, CIA uh, counterinsurgency work that uh, if if you can take five percent of of the uh, the administ- of, of the administrative force of, of a government out of commission, uh, then the whole institution is at risk of collapse. Uh, and and so uh, I I think there may be some some institutions which are going to reach that five percent uh, potential tipping point. And and it becomes very easy for things to spiral out of control. Then, even, even though ninety five percent of the people don't have, uh, you know, aren't, aren't out sick with whatever it is. So I think that the fact that um, we're we're acting now and people are staying home and uh, you know the the transmission rate is going to go down. I think we're going to be fine on that. Um, just my prediction. I don't. I'm not worried about that stuff uh, happening here. Um, I could be. Well, I'm always worried that could be famous last words, but I'm just not yeah, worried well, about and, that at and, all. And uh, most of us have uh, parents or grandparents who are advanced in age and, and are in a much, I'm very worried a much more severe risk profile. So so even though we may be a little cavalier, and by that I, I don't mean we're going out and doing stupid things in stupid places with stupid people, but but we're not fearing for our lives currently. Uh, there There are those who legitimately should be very concerned. Yeah, no, I I do know a lot of people who are much older, and um, I I'm very concerned about that. Uh, but you know, hopefully we'll stay safe out there, and we'll we'll do what we can. Aaron, I want to give you an exercise before we head out because you, you've been given a lot of worst case scenarios today. Oh, I, I was going to say what? plan for the worst, hope for the best, but uh... Let, okay, let's we we've already done. <laughs> well, I don't know what plan for the worst is other than what we're doing now. But what's the uh, what's the hope for the best? What is what is the best case? I don't think the best case scenario is like a realistic best case scenario. It's yeah, we're, we're not going to gonna like have, uh, you know, aliens deliver a cure uh, tomorrow. It's right. So so I, I think, yeah, the, the best case scenario is is that we, we start to see a tapering off of new cases uh, that that we we have uh, a, a strong, maybe not enforcement, but uh, kind of social pressure for this, the, the social distancing for a few more weeks to maybe a month uh and and it it blows over into you know we're until until there's a vaccine we're not going to see it stop but but if we can drop the the rate of transmission down to 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 much lower numbers i i think we we can go back to a new normal right i I don't see that happening in less than a month though even even maybe the testing Maybe the testing situation can be gotten under control too, where 
tests been, can become more available and yeah, more, and and there, and, and there are a lot of, of incremental steps to be to be done there. I, I I know that there are some folks working towards an at home te- an at home test. Uh, I don't know if it'll be as as simple and ubiquitous as you know home pregnancy tests or something of of, of the like. But uh, if if things could be if if test equipment could be made reliably and in quantities like that, uh, then I think that would take a lot of the panic and uncertainty out of the equation. Yeah, yeah, it, it would definitely, dude. If there was like a two hundred dollar test that people can, I bet a lot of healthy people would just buy it. Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe like I said before, the the um, the rule is you, you get a discount on your test if you report your results and you yeah, report well, the data. So, and, and I I guess my question then becomes, what do you do with that information? So if you if you've confirmed that you are not infected, well, you yeah. you still have to think about protecting yourself from becoming infected in, in all the same ways you did before. I think for a lot of people, it's just peace of mind. Yeah. I think a lot of people are trying to go. I know the tri- a lot of people are trying to go to hospitals to, to get the test. Um, I have a friend who works at a hospital in Connecticut. He says lots of people are coming in. They demand the test. The people who get the test, they're all negative right now at that particular hospital. is like negative, negative, negative. So um, yeah, well, my, yeah, my policy are. is that I am not going to get sick. And if I'm not sick, I don't have to worry about whether it's coronavirus or something else. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and you should all do the same. Unless it gets... <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, I, I, I think that that best case scenario is certainly possible. It's not, um, it's not totally far-fetched and it's, um, it might end up being what happened in a few yeah. weeks' time. Uh, we've got this thing under control. In fact, that's probably the most likely scenario at this point. But well, so uh, which which is is more depressing for you right now? Uh, making uh, predictions on Metaculus for the uh, presidential elections or for COVID nineteen? Because because those I are was two trying of the- to. <laughs> I was trying to end on a positive note, and then you extended the show to ask, what's more depressing for you Let, right let, let me rephrase that. Which of those two do you find more uplifting? I just flipped it on its head. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> because okay, because so uh, for those of you who listening who are interested, there are a lot of, of, uh, of predictions uh, around uh, – confirmed case rates uh and 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 growth rates uh on on there right now so if 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 that's your if that's your bag uh go go check that out yeah yeah a lot of things are moving right now in the and what was the other thing you mentioned there was that and there was the um oh comparing that to the the presidential politics ongoing oh i have not i have not seen that so i will (laughs) we'll we'll cover that uh We'll cover that in the future. That's going to be a fascinating race. I mean, now that it looks like it's going to be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. That's uh, yeah, well, I, <laughs> oh I, I will I will throw out. Uh, I the think there I was think a question that. on there uh, about what the likelihood that uh, coronavirus will affect uh, the, oh the candidates. Don't even. I think yeah. I think meaning directly that one of the presidential candidates uh, will be incapacitated such that they are no longer a presidential candidate by it. And, and I think they put that at, <sighs> uh, the, the, the community is putting that at pretty much a non, a non-factor. Oh, they think it's very unlikely. Yeah. Interesting. The, Interesting. The, the, the odds of, of Trump or Biden uh, contracting coronavirus, uh, pretty low. But what's the odds of them contracting anything well, at that age? Like, I mean, and, and, it, it, and can't be, it can't us? be 0%. Well, they would try. They would try to hide it as much as they can, but at some point, you can't. I mean, it's certainly not zero percent. It could be like a half percent, one percent. I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's a non non zero percent about. It. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff to talk about in in politics. We have cryptocurrency hard down to the, uh, over the last couple of weeks. It could be back up by the time this goes. Yeah, this well, goes live. So and, who knows. And- could be real opportunities to make a lot of money, real opportunities to lose a lot of money. I, I haven't been following that in the crypto world, but uh, I, I can tell you uh, with, with certainty that crypto isn't the only thing that's been hard down in the last few days. Yep. That, that yep. They're, they're moving with the market, not against it there. Yeah. All right. So I think we've, uh, we've covered this enough. We've gone on for an hour. Hopefully, I think people have gotten some... Good information, even if I ramble a little bit on uh, Bayesian networks, but maybe some people might want to look that up. Uh, but hope, I I don't know. I think we did a better job than reading Twitter. 
you, you spent a better hour than reading Twitter. You might have a few things to look through. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a low bar, but we try to deliver it every week. Be better <laughs> yeah, than no, Twitter. I think we have met that bar every single week, without a doubt. Um, okay. I mean, if anything, we'll take the best things from Twitter, but no, I think, I, I think this works. All right. Let me know if you have any specific questions about what's going on and let me know if there's, if you have any specific recommendations out there, localmaxradio.com at uh, gmail.com. If you want to weigh in, if anything's happening in your life, um, I think that's all I got. Is that all you got? Uh, one, wash your damn hands, people. And and two, uh, I look forward to hearing a report next week on the uh, the best food available in takeout and delivery uh, in your neighborhood. All right. Sounds good. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.